the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on this Monday edition. It is the 22nd morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Appreciate you being with us. Coming up on the program in a half an hour, we're going to talk with former Ohio Congressman Jim Renacci, now Ohio gubernatorial candidate, trying to primary Mike DeWine out of that office in Columbus. We pray he is successful in doing so. At 10.35, former ICE Director, Acting ICE Director Tom Holman will join us to talk about the latest issues going on with more caravans forming and making their way through Mexico to cross our non-existent border in our formerly sovereign country. So that's coming up. We've got Jim Renacci and uh, Tom Holman. But right now, to tee off the show, here on the uh, on the uh, first tee is... Um, Somebody we talk to normally about a half an hour from now, but his schedule has uh, dictated that he join us early, and we are more than happy to accommodate our fourth congressional district representative. He is, of course, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan, up early with us this morning. Congressman, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you today. Good to talk to you, too. I appreciate that. And I wish we had something fun to lead off with here, Congressman, but we're yeah. all kind of still in shock watching... Uh, Yesterday, Waukesha, Wisconsin, just a horrific mm-hmm. sight as a uh, a Christmas parade, one that is tradition in that uh, town, I guess, uh, and it's it's filled with little children and old people. The dancing grannies yeah. uh, get out there and 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 participate in this wonderful festival. The kids are out there with their families, and well, we know the story now. If you've been watching the news at all, everybody knows mm-hmm. that an SUV went speeding at what looked to be at least forty to forty-five, maybe miles an hour. Speeding through that parade, five are confirmed dead, 40-plus confirmed injured. Those numbers are probably both going to go up as we get more information today. But I don't know that there's an angle here, Congressman Jordan, but I just feel like I would be remiss if we didn't bring up the horror of it all and uh, and wondering what's going on with our society. 
No, it's, you, you, you can't explain it. It's, it's terrible. And, and of course, I know the whole country is praying for the families who are impacted and, and, um, thinking of all those folks there. And I was in Waukesha this, uh, this summer, uh, with, uh, a colleague of mine, Scott Fitzgerald, a great congressman, new congressman from up there. And we were in, in that town and that's his, his area. So, uh, great community. And, um, you just, uh, particularly, yeah, you just, you don't, you don't, you can't, you can't figure this stuff out. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to just wait and see. But praying for uh, the families there, like the whole country is. Yeah, we are. The uh, one thing we can say is that uh, they have a person, they're calling it a person of interest in custody, which mm-hmm. is interesting mm-hmm. considering you know, if he was pulled out of that SUV, how is it not suspect rather than person of interest? Yeah. But that individual, according to what we're reporting, I will not use a name until we get verification, but that individual has a very lengthy criminal history and according to multiple reports was let out on bail uh, just two days ago, mm-hmm. just two days ago. Now, Congressman, this is the angle that I will take on this because this is an issue across this country as we watch this rise in violent crime we are seeing more and more uh you know in an attempt to to reform if you will the criminal justice system and to try to bring equity to criminal justice system we're seeing more and more no bail releases or very low bail releases of of potentially violent people which of course does nothing to deter people from committing violent acts if they know they're going to be out in 24 hours or less on a next to nothing bond you know i I just don't understand what our approach to violent crime is in this country when that's the case I don't get it either. And look, it's one thing to reform our our, uh, our sentencing and our criminal justice and prison conditions, and that that should be done. And we did that under President Trump. It was a good piece of legislation. But it's another thing just to to, to let bad guys out to uh, you know with 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 no bail, no no holding these folks, no prosecution in some cases for people who do violent things. Particularly some of these leftist uh, prosecutors and district attorneys who've been elected with the help of the of the the, the, the left's money. So. Um, yeah, that makes no sense. The American people get it, and I think they 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 spoke about this pretty clear in the in the recent election. You know, they elected a Republican district attorney in Seattle. They 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 said no to this crazy idea of defunding the police around the country. So uh, that's a good sign um, that that the American people get it and uh, are going to push back on this crazy left uh, thinking. Yeah, I, I I certainly hope so. And you know, the the worst part about it, Congressman Jordan, is and last thought on this is it's not just the violent crime; they're decriminalizing crime, if that makes any sense. Yeah. For example, yeah. and we're seeing this in California over and over and over again: stores are being forced to close because they can't Great stay point. open because you can't make money when they have passed a, a law that says if you steal something less than a thousand dollars or collection of items less than a thousand dollars, it's a misdemeanor and we won't really pursue you. People are walking walking in and shopping for free, taking things off yeah. of shelves, walking out with complete impunity. They know that they cannot be touched. Again, what is our approach to law enforcement here? Is this some sort yeah. of social justice to allow theft like that? No, it makes no sense, and it's, it's absolutely wrong. It's, it's stealing, plain and simple. But I think p- part of this really got, got, got you know, was fueled and, and took off uh, a, a year and a half ago in the summer of 2020 when when liberal elected officials in so many locations weren't willing to crack down on riots and, and vandalism and attacks on law enforcement like they should have. It's one thing to peacefully protest. We're all for that. That's called First Amendment activity. That's a hallmark of our great country. But it's another thing to do what happened in the summer 2020 and not have leaders step forward and say, no, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to tolerate that. That is against the law that is destroying property, that's stealing, and that's harming our our good law enforcement officers. So I think that's where this thing really, you know, got got kind of got kind of rolling and got the got what was fueled was the the summer of uh, the summer of twenty twenty. 
Well, let's let's uh, let's bring that current Congressman Jim Jordan. Um, summer of 2020 has become fall slash early winter of 2021. At least five different big city riots broke out across this country, including the worst I think was in Portland, as a dozen Portland cops were cornered in a garage by 200 protesters who were fearless, who absolutely felt no threat whatsoever of arrest, certainly of being injured or hurt by the police who weren't going to engage. But these quote-unquote protests started again now over the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict in also in Wisconsin, strangely enough. A lot of people are trying to connect Kenosha and Waukesha. We have no earthly idea if there's anything having to do with that there. But what we do know Congressman, is that the left, particularly the left-wing media, and some of your colleagues on Capitol Hill, Democrat members of Congress, outraged at the verdict of a young man who is being attacked in three separate incidents, all in a very short span of time, defending himself, and a jury doing its job, seeing it all and saying, yeah, that's not murder. Now they're riding all over again, Congressman. Yeah. Well, if that wasn't self-defense, what Kyle Rittenhouse did, if that wasn't self-defense, I don't know what is. So, uh, look, we, we all saw the facts, and God bless the jury there. They did their job. Due process works in this great country. That was a win for freedom. That was a win for due process. That was a win for the Second Amendment. That was a win for the greatest country in history, our system of, of how we handle these, these, these situations. And so uh, I, was, I was pleased. I was, I was excited about it, and not excited, but, but, but encouraged, I guess is the right word, about what I saw from that jury um, and, and what took place there in Wisconsin, and, and then to have the reaction. Well, I tell you who the reaction I was most noticed was uh, my colleague, uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Congressman Nadler. He put out a statement. He now wants the Department of Justice to go after Kyle Rittenhouse. And I'm thinking the same Department of Justice that uh, is going after parents, putting a threat tag, a terrorist label on parents, the same Department of Justice that raided James O'Keefe's house, a journalist, took his phone, that Department of Justice, you now want to look into this situation where a jury of his peers said he was not guilty on all counts, and now you want that, just the Garland Justice Department to look into that? That's crazy. Well, yeah, it's beyond crazy. It's criminal. And this is, this is, I guess, the, the most frustrating thing that, you know, American citizens looking at this and watching this are saying, how on earth? And, and by the way, what you just said about Nadler might be the most extreme if it had not been for the President of the United States, who caught yeah. off guard yeah. asked, uh, uh, by, by a journalist, uh, as he was, as he was moving about and who said, well, we respect the jury process and that's its way, and, which is, you know, acceptable. And then right. as soon as he gets back to the White House, whoever is actually running the White House, that isn't Joe Biden got to him and said, "Man, you can't say that." Issue a statement condemning the verdict, and he did. So literally, he flip flopped yeah. on how he felt about the verdict just in order to placate his base and to play politics uh, with it with it with with the, the life of a seventeen now eighteen year old kid. Yeah, yeah. To to uh, to play to the hard left that now controls his party. Uh, you, you know, this is he he expect more from uh, the leader of our country you expect more from from the commander in chief and the president of the united states but it it i mean that's that's joe biden he has he has done everything hard left and there's a reason why 71% of the country think we're on the wrong track because we are and let's uh, i think it's going to change i think it's going to begin to change we've talked about this numerous times i think it's going to begin to change one year from now uh, in the midterm elections i think there's a darn good chance we win and potentially a chance we win big uh, both in the house and and the senate because American people are frustrated with this kind of uh, these kind of statements, the kind of actions, the kind of policies they're seeing from the Democrats and the hard left that controls that party running all of our federal government. Well, you know, you're right, and and 
presumably what we have seen in terms of legislation would would certainly bolster that view that you're going to win and win big in uh, in 2022. Um, but but let's talk about the damage that can be done between now and 2022. Yeah. Your yeah. your speaker yeah. in your house uh, just shepherded through after getting the CBO score, which was showed just a little under a half a trillion dollars that will be added to the federal deficit. When they told us it would be zero, the CBO yeah. said it's around what almost four hundred trillion or four hundred billion dollars rather yeah. going to be added with this um, uh, with the uh, uh, infrastructure bill. And she said, "Too bad we're having a vote anyway." They passed it, and now the pressure is on Mansion and Cinema to give them at least one yay vote yeah. uh, in the um, uh, in the Senate. W- what's your thought on that? Well, I mean, of course, of course, you knew it was going to add to, to the deficit. I mean, I mean, every statement they made about this stuff has been wrong. Joe Biden said, "Oh, we're going to spend a couple trillion dollars more. And it's going to help inflation." There's not a sane person, a logical person on the planet, who believes that statement. A few weeks back, uh, John Yarmuth, the, the Democrat chair of the Budget Committee, says, "Oh, no, no, we don't have a debt problem because we can always print money." These guys just give us all kinds of garbage, all kinds of ridiculous statements. This thing is bad. It's going to exacerbate the already 31-year high inflation rate. It's going to uh, add, it's going to increase American families' taxes, and it's going to make the already bad energy situation even worse. And, you know, I, I said the other day, everything costs more. You want to buy a home, it costs more. You want to rent an apartment, it costs more. To put food on the table, it costs more. To put gas in your car, it costs more. Thanksgiving turkey, Christmas presents, everything costs more because that's Joe Biden's America, and it's, it's based on all the crazy left-wing economic policy, which is, you know, what, what, what is it? It's a lock down the economy, spend like crazy, uh, pay people not to work, and oh, now they're raising your taxes for everyone who has been working. Such a deal for hardworking Americans. So, the, again, there's a reason he's at 38% approval rating and his vice president's at 28. I don't know in the history of polling if I've ever seen numbers that low for the president and vice president, and it's deserved because everything they've done has been bad. Yeah, less than one year into their term. You're exactly right about it. Yeah, you mentioned the name Mary. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just say 10 months. No one, I had a lady, this was, this was a few months back, but this lady actually got tears in her eyes. I started to glass up when she said, I never thought it could get this bad this quick. And it, 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 it's sad what we see happening, but uh, the American people are resilient. And I'm, I'm sensing a pushback. We saw it with those 12 jurors in, in, in Kenosha. We saw it with the voters in the state of, of Virginia. Uh, we see it with moms and dads standing up at school board meetings. I mean, we're starting to see the American people say, no, we're, we're sick of this, and we're going to push back and do what's right for our country. Congressman, you mentioned the name Merrick Garland moments ago. You mentioned the DOJ with Jerry Nadler wanting them to look into the Kenosha or the uh, uh, Rittenhouse verdict. I want to talk about them looking into Project Veritas. You have uh, yeah. asked some very, very hard questions and want an inquiry into how the FBI raided the homes of Project Veritas reporters looking for something that the uh, Project Veritas uh, uh, founder, James O'Keefe, didn't even have. Yeah. Well, these are journalists. This is First Amendment. And remember the big the big statements from Joe Biden and and. uh the, his administration saying we will not go after journalists. This is this is about the the integrity of of the First Amendment. They made a big to do out of it, and now oh, when it when it may impact them and maybe potentially their family because this is about a diary supposedly of his daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. They go raid these people's homes, take their phones, everything you know, all, all their contacts, all their they take their phones. So, so this is, I mean, I, I guess. But this administration, though, you're, you're now you're, you're no longer shocked at the things they do. But this is as wrong as it gets. 
Yeah, it, it, well, it's as wrong as the other part that the FBI is engaged in, and I know you have done this as well, and that is demand for the FBI director, Christopher Wray, uh, operating presumably under the directive of the Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, to disclose all counterterrorism tools that have been used against anti-CRT parents. We now know that yes. this has begun. Uh, they are actually using these tools. They raided the house of a Colorado activist mom, uh, uh, broke in her door, uh, trying to claim that she was responsible for uh, abuse of, of a protected computer, saying that she somehow was investigating uh, you know, the voter machines in Colorado. But this is an activist mom who makes noise at the school board meeting, says she doesn't want CRT, yep. she doesn't want forced masking, and they've started, Congressman. She, won't be yeah. the fir- she, she may be the first, she will not be the last. Bob, you know what I think? I don't think this started with... So, so the, the, the conventional wisdom is you had the letter on the 29th from the National School Board Association, and then five days later... Merrick Garland issues his memorandum, which puts in place the things you're just talking about, and this threat mm-hmm. tag that we learned from the whistleblower a week ago. I don't think, though, it really started with the school board association. I think the letter was just a pretext. I think this started with the Biden administration and the Garland Justice Department. I think they wanted to go after parents. They saw parents speaking up. They wanted to, they wanted to squelch this and stop this. And so they said, we need, we need to go after them. Oh, by the way, with school board associates, can you write us a letter? And that will be the reason, that will be the pretext for us putting in practice, what, putting in play what we wanted to do anyway. I think that's how it started. I think actually the letter is much like the dossier. Everyone knew the FBI, at the FBI knew the dossier was baloney, but that became a good reason for them to do what they wanted to do, which was spy on the president's campaign. I think the same thing happened here. And the letter from the school board association, which they've now apologized for, that letter was like the dossier. It was all garbage, but they wanted something to go after parents. Because, you know, what we've learned since that letter and since the memorandum is for three weeks prior to that letter, there were communications between the school board association and the White House. They were – that's what happened, and that makes it even worse in my mind. Uh, it's why we're asking the question stop until we get the answers, until we get them to stop what they're doing. Well, I'm very glad to see a person in a position of authority like yourself echoing what I have been saying for the last two weeks. As soon as I knew about the pre- the three weeks of correspondence between uh, the White House and the DOJ and uh, the School Board Association, that's exactly what I said. They, they didn't write a letter to the White House. The White House is saying, we've got to stop these activist parents somehow. We need a reason to go after them. And so they yep. told the School Board Association, send us something. Send us a complaint. Tell us about threats and harassment so we can get after these people and shut yep. them down right now. So I'm glad you see it that way, and I hope you can share that view yeah. and, and, and on Congress and get something with, with your uh, colleagues in Congress and get something done about it. Yeah. Here's the good news. They didn't bargain on moms and dads telling them to go, you know, to, to, to push back. They didn't bargain on parents saying, well, we don't care what you do. We're, we're going to fight for our kids. They thought they could kill the speech of parents. What they found out is they fired them up, and Glenn Youngkin is now the governor, going to be the governor of the state of Virginia. That's why I'm encouraged because I see that kind of activity from our fellow citizens. Amen to that. Congressman Jordan, I know you're busy today. Thank you for the time this morning. We appreciate it. You bet. Take care. All right. That's Jim Jordan joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. He's always with us on Mondays when his schedule allows. Today, it allowed for 9.08 instead of 9.35. I'm going to call that a win, because first of all, we got Jordan, and that opened up 9.35, in which case we get Renacy. Jim Renacci, Ohio gubernatorial candidate, trying to primary out, uh, primary out Mike DeWine, working very, very hard at that. We're going to talk to him about that effort and why and what's next in the state of Ohio. That'll be at 935 this morning. And as I said in the open, Tom Homan, 
uh, former acting director of ICE, will be joining me to talk about the latest assault on our southern border and the current administration's refusal to address it. That's coming up as well. We'll be right back. Okay, it's 928. We continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. Just a quick short segment here. The uh, tragedy, uh, the travesty, the assault, the attack, whatever you want to call it in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin yesterday, on multiple, multiple video angles um, is just horrific. You can't watch it. If you saw it once inadvertently, I promise, or at least I'm relatively certain, you didn't rewind and watch it again. Um, it's you're watching the death of people. You're watching the death of children. You're watching the death of seniors. Watching the horrific injuries uh, to countless numbers of people. Uh, it's not something you want to watch again. But what you do want to watch now is what happens. What you do want to watch now is for accountability and for somebody to explain why. What is this all about? Now, there is a man that has been taken into custody. I can confirm that much. So I will say the name because he's been taken into into custody. He's been called a person of interest. Not a suspect, strangely enough. But his name is Daryl Brooks Jr. He's a black man who uh, police found when they uh, detained him, found a Ford key on him. This is a Ford Escape SUV that was used to barrel through uh, that parade. According to scanner audio that has been observed, NBC News confirmed with five law enforcement officers, or excuse me, officials, that Brooks is the individual in custody as a person of interest being questioned. Um... The police squads outside the home uh, of uh, Mr. Brooks, uh, they are trying to look for evidence of what he did and why he may have done it. Uh, They're trying to talk to witnesses in his neighborhood. Uh, According to audio obtained from a police scanner uh, indicating Waukesha police obtained an ID in the name of Daryl Brooks Brooks Jr. inside that Ford Escape that they were covered in connection with this. Uh, He also goes by the name of Daryl E. Brooks Jr. and Daryl Edward Brooks Jr. He's 39 years old. He has a very severe criminal record, according to multiple reports as well. Uh, This this news is really kind of as it comes in, I'm giving it to you. This individual's motive is not clear, of course, right now. And again, he hasn't even been listed as a suspect yet, just a person of interest. But uh, he was in a red SUV. He had a Ford key. He was identified by witnesses as being the individual who drove through. So this is probably a matter of time before they announce that he is a suspect and he is under arrest for vehicular homicide and probably a whole bunch of other things. As I noted to Congressman Jim Jordan, just briefly, if this is the individual that ends up being charged, if this is the individual that ended up doing this, um, he was just let out of jail two days ago. On November 19th, he was let out of jail um, on a $1,000 cash bond, despite the fact that, number one, he was in, he was being held for felony bail jumping, second-degree recklessly endangering safety, domestic abuse, Disorderly conduct and battery from this incident on November 5th. And he had another open felony case that has been held over in Milwaukee County from 2020. So he's got multiple felonies that he is facing charges for. And instead of being held in a jail cell, he's out on a $1,000 cash bail. Which begs the question, what are we doing about crime in this country? 
when we're allowing violent criminals to walk out virtually scot-free before they get to their trials, if they ever get there. It's incredible. But that's what we know for now. More will come in, and we'll share it with you, and we'll analyze it the best we can on the terrible parade assault in Waukesha, Wisconsin. For now, it's 930. We'll get our news, 931, actually. And Jim Renacci will join us next, AM 1420, The Answer. Vaccinated against the lies of the liberal media pandemic. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 937. Continuing continuing on this Monday. Thanks for being with us. Thanksgiving week, of course, is upon us. We're going to have some uh, guest hosts coming up on Wednesday. Rob Walgate will be in for me as I have a family day as a part of the Thanksgiving uh, weekend that uh, follows. I will, of course, be off on Thursday and Friday. We'll have best of shows for you those days. And believe me, we've had some amazing interviews and segments in the last several months uh, that are going to be featured on the best of shows. So if you missed uh, some of the great content, great way to catch up on it is turn the radio on while you're based in the bird on Thursday or getting ready in whatever way that you do or shopping on Black Friday. All right, let's continue this morning now with a former Ohio congressman from the 16th Congressional District. Kind of wish he was still there if he would be, if he would have been, would have had one less vote for the infrastructure bill that uh, gave uh, Joe Biden a huge win and certainly wouldn't have had a vote to impeach the President of the United States without due process which is what his successor, Anthony Gonzalez, did. But Jim Renacci is moving on and looking to uh, better things in the future, and that could be sitting in the uh, governor's mansion in Columbus, Ohio. He is trying to primary out Mike DeWine, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, good morning. How are you? Good, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, happy early Thanksgiving to you. Got big plans this week? You know, it's all about family. And uh, yes, as I travel is. the state and talk, uh, talk about my issues, it's family faith, freedoms, uh, friends. I mean, these are the keys that I truly believe in. And uh, this week this week will be one of those where the entire family gets together. I love Thanksgiving and Christmas when we all get together. How does family handle a campaign like yours? You're a tireless campaigner. Uh, it's one of the things I respect about you. You do not just sit there and buy a bunch of ads. You go out there and you see people. You go to every event you can in every corner of the state. And I really, truly respect that. That's got to be hell on on family life, I mean, unless uh, you know your wife hits the road with you when you're going all over the state every time. I mean, how do you do it? Well, actually, it is, and and I think anyone who's running, especially for statewide, when you have to leave and be gone. I mean, there was one day, uh, one week, uh, just the, the last ten days, I was gone eight straight days from eight in the morning until about eleven, eleven thirty at night. I think um, that is a strain on the family. But look, my wife. Uh, my kids who are now out of the house all say the same thing. Look, you know, this is about our state. This is about changing things. And they get so frustrated. I mean, we were not a political family. We were a family that really they saw their dad going and, and working and, and was an entrepreneur for years. And, and that all changed when my dealership was taken away from me and I ran against John Bocheri and I stepped into this arena, uh, you know, 10 years ago and realized that Boy, we have to make a difference. And, and Bob, the biggest difference is, and I, and, I, and I hope your listeners hear this, it's not about the federal government. They can't fix anything. They are so broken that I don't care about these Senate candidates running down this. It's, it's such a broken system. 
that the only place things are going to be fixed is right in every state. We need 50 or at least 30 strong governors or 38 strong governors for sure who can change the Constitution, but also say enough's enough. We're not doing this anymore, federal government. Joe Biden, whoever you are, no matter who is in the federal government, we're sick and tired of you mandating and pushing things on us. And those are the type of governors we need. That's what we don't have in Ohio. Um, we have a governor, Governor DeWine, who sits on the advisory. He's the co-chair of the Advisory Bipartisan Council of Governors with Joe Biden. Do you think he's going to tell Joe Biden to stop? No. This is the problem. We need strong governors. That's the reason I'm running. You know, I'm glad to hear you bring that up. We're talking to former Congressman Jim Renacci, who now, of course, is a Republican primary challenger to Mike DeWine for uh, the governor's office. Um, you know, Mike DeWine has been strangely quiet, um, at least in recent months, uh, despite the, you know, expansion, if you will, or the explosion or whatever you want to call the Delta variant and the you know rise in cases. And, you know, last year when he wasn't immediately facing reelection, he was Captain Lockdown. He was maybe, you know, one of the harshest, certainly one of the harshest Republican governors, but but really kind of up there with the worst of the Democrat governors and taking away businesses, taking away jobs, taking away people opportunity uh, to live freely uh, as they choose, you know, mandating the closure of schools, mandating the uh, end of seasons, and so on and so forth. He was very, very aggressively active. And I think, well, let me ask you, do you think the pushback that he got from real Ohioans, regular Ohioans who want to be able to do their jobs and make up their own minds is why, now that he's facing a challenge from you, he's been very quiet. He has not been, uh, he's been, not been calling for more lockdowns, calling for more restrictions. He's kind of just letting things play out. Well, Bob, his run to the right, and that's what I call it, it's, he's running, he's trying to run back to the right, is really when he heard Jim Renese was going to run. When he signed the uh, Stand Your Ground bill, that was, I got more phone calls saying that should be the Renese Stand Your Ground bill because DeWine said he wasn't going to sign it. And he then turns around and signs it because he hears Jim Renese's coming after him. And I think as you look at everything he's done, and, and this is Mike DeWine, this is vintage Mike DeWine. He runs back to the right for the primary and then swings hard left after he gets elected. Look at his history. If your listeners pay attention to anything, look at his history in the Senate, in the House. He always ran, he always went to the left and then ran back to the right. And that's what we're seeing. And so the, his best answer today, it's to just be quiet. He's, he comes a little bit to even the redistricting, the, the lines drawn. He came out and said he didn't think those redistricting lines were, were done right. He didn't think that they uh, fairly represented, um, you know, what should have been in Ohio. He just said that last week. And then this week he quietly signs them. You know why? Because he knows that any time he challenges, his challenges are usually liberal Democrat um, thought processes, and uh, and he doesn't want to talk about those things anymore. Why do you think um, he, he did he that quietly? Because I agree with you, and I think that's a good description, the run to the right. Why do you think he didn't trumpet the fact that I'm signing this, even though he knows it gets tons of criticism from the left, saying that it's unfair, that this is gerrymandering and so on and so forth. Republicans have a responsibility and a constitutional obligation to make sure that the districts are fair and fairly competitive. Uh, but you're right. He, 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 he condemned them, but then he quietly signed them. Why wouldn't he go out there as a run to the right and say, look at what I'm doing. This is going to make sure that it is constitutional and fair, but it's going to ensure that the Republican majority remains here. Here, which is what our goal is. Well, that's what he should be doing. But he should be trumpeting 
the people's values and principles, and he doesn't do that. He should be talking about, we shouldn't be doing vaccinations, Joe Biden, I'm going to do whatever I can to stop you. You never hear him say that. And every once in a while, quietly, he'll say, well, I kind of disagree with Joe Biden's vaccinations. Truth of it is, he should be standing up every time, just like DeSantis does, and say, we are not going to let this happen. That's the kind of governor we really need. It's the reason I'm running, Bob. Well, not, I mean, not, only, so is he, not only is he not opposing it, Congressman, go ahead and speak to this for me, the, fa- the vax to school thing. He already did that vax a millions lottery, and tons of studies were done, found it did nothing to increase vax, uh, vaccination participation. Uh, all it did was give away millions of our tax dollars that could have been, uh, been, been used to help rebuild businesses that were crippled during the lockdowns that he ordered. But now it's, you know, the 5 to 12 thing happened, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the uh, Pfizer being approved for 5- to 12-year-olds, and he's trying to jam it in as many school kids' arms as possible by bribery, or, I'm sorry, lottery. Well, I would agree with you. But think about uh, even masks. He should be saying, I don't think kids should be wearing masks in school eight hours a day. He should be presenting what the people want. And I certainly hope the people don't forget. You know, you said something earlier. Last year at this time, he was the most aggressive Republican acting just like Cuomo, been mm-hmm. on TV every day talking about how he was going to shut down these businesses. He was going to protect people. He was going to make them wear masks. He was going to do this. And a year later, he's as quiet as a church mouse. There's a reason. He knows he has a primary and he knows he's got a problem, but he will not even step up. If Jim Renacci was in his shoes today, I'd be stepping up and saying, I'm going to fight the vaccinations. I'm going to do, he should be listening to the people and following through, you know, and, and not just sitting back, going to the Biltmore. I don't know if your listeners realize he spent last week at the Biltmore Waldorf Astoria in Arizona. That's one of the most plush hotels at the Republican Governors Association meeting um, when Ohio is struggling to even cover its uh, its gas prices at the pump. I mean, it's it's just amazing. There are so many things I'm hoping people are watching and not forgetting. The biggest problem, though, I find, Bob, is people forget in politics. They don't remember what happened a year ago. They only remember what's happening now. And Governor DeWine's hoping that everybody forgets about last year when next May shows up and only thinks about what's going on as he continues to pump money. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. We're getting all this federal money, and he's using it for infrastructure. Well, if we have all this federal money for infrastructure, how about thinking about the people and reduce the gas tax that you imposed two years ago? Because now's the time to do it when you have all this federal money. No, he's going to take federal t- the federal money and continue to tax every Ohioan. Ohioans don't get a break with this governor. We need a change. We're talking to uh, Congress, former Congressman Jim Renacci, now, of course, uh, Republican gubernatorial primary challenger to Mike DeWine. You know, you, you've talked for a long time uh, when you talk about Mike DeWine and his job performance, talking about the job growth and the economic growth in this uh, state, which has been among the nation's worth, worst. Um, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, Ohio saw very little significant changes in its quitting rate of employees who are quitting, which they're doing across the country, but did see a significant decrease in job openings um, and hiring. In fact, the hiring number of 31,000 for August, which is the latest that we have from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is the third highest decline in the country, trailing only Illinois and New Jersey. 
how would you how would you address that if you were taking over tomorrow and it's not tomorrow I realize but if you were taking over right now what's the prescription to get Ohio back to work and to get them to work in you know in, uh, with good wages but not wages that are going to cripple businesses because they can't handle the overhead well, Bob, it's not a secret. You just take a look at, uh, you know, in my business world for 30-plus years, I used to always look at my competitors, see what they were doing, make changes uh, so that I can compete. You do that in sports. You do that in business. You do that in everything. Mike DeWine doesn't compete with anybody and probably never competed in sports in his entire life. But if you look at Ohio, why can't we compete with Florida, Texas, Tennessee, you know, uh, South Dakota, all these states? Well, because we have policies that don't allow us to compete. And by the way, we are still 200 and some thousand jobs behind where we were before COVID, the COVID pandemic struck. So we're not even catching up, which is a real problem. And we're still hundreds of thousands of jobs behind where we were in 2007, almost 14 years later. So you would think if you're losing all the time and losing every year, and continuing to lose jobs and population declines compared to other states, which is why we lost the congressperson, you would sit back and say, I've got to change the policies. We've got to change the policies. And there are so many policies that we need to implement in Ohio. But this governor, you know, John Eusted was at an event, the lieutenant governor. He was at an event. Uh, he, he, he was traveling around the state. I was at an event in Richland County. This is what one of the person, a Republican, stood up and said, you know, John Eusted stopped in my office, and I was complaining about business. And John Eusted said, Governor DeWine is not a business governor. He does not care about business. And I thought, you got your lieutenant governor telling you, telling a business person in Ohio that that's what gov- the Governor DeWine doesn't care? He's more concerned about social injustice. Those were the words that this individual said to 100 Republicans in Richland County that John Eustace had said. So even as a lieutenant governor is saying he doesn't care about business. We have to have a governor who understands that business is key, employment is key, a state that, that can compete with other states is key, but we, ha- we don't have that in Governor DeWine. Congressman Renacci, last question for you about that, and I think everything you're talking about is very important. Nobody can really figure out what to do right now to get workers. I cannot walk by a store without signs, as you know, help wanted, pay, you know, they're, they're talking about jobs that were $9 an hour, paying $16, $17, $18 an hour to get people to come. And as I mentioned before about overhead costs, we all know what that leads to. It leads to increased prices for the goods and services that you're selling or uh, or basically leads uh, businesses to close. But I, I, I drive by restaurants at, at 8 o'clock at night, and the lights are all off. They're closed, and it says right on the door, uh, short staff, can't can't serve. Um do you have an idea? And this is something I would ask a potential, you know, the, the the chief executive of the state of Ohio, like potentially yourself. I would ask this any of any state senator, state representative, or even any, any member of Congress. I don't know if anybody has the answer here. How do we approach this lack of willingness to get workers back to work um, after they have been paid to stay home for so very long? Well, it's interesting, and believe it or not, I, I, there's a lot of people trying to answer this question, and, and I think the answers are that, and I even read this in a New York Times study, which somebody would say, well, New York Times, that's pretty liberal. But even the New York Times said, our biggest problem is that most Americans are, are today flush with cash. They have more cash than they've ever had before. Now, to some people, three or $4,000 is a lot of cash. 
compared to what they've had when they were struggling. So they're not making the decisions they used to be, they used to make, because they've got a little bit of a cash reserve. So they're going to sit back. That's a serious problem. Uh, and, and, of course, that cash is going to drain itself out. And, and when, as inflation goes and meat prices go up, we're going to get people back to where they have to get back to work. We need to incentivize work versus incentivize the unemployment. We need to be able to show um, our 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds in high school that they don't need to go to college to make money, to make more money than they can make in college. We need to really review. And then we got to show Ohioans, you know, the idea that there is – an opportunity down the road if you work hard and do the right things. And I think we've lost all of that. And it takes somebody who, in my opinion, started with nothing. I mean, I started with $200 in a bank account um, 30-some years ago, and I lived the American dream here in Ohio. But see, you've got somebody like Governor DeWine who's only been on the uh, payroll of, you know, government payroll. So how can he explain These are the opportunities. How can a lieutenant governor, who's also only been on government payroll his entire life, be able to say these are the opportunities? We really do need change in government, because right now all we have is bureaucrats who all they know is government. And we really need people in office across the state. I'm talking about school boards, mayor's offices, city councils, county commissioners, all the way up to governor, who have lived it, who understand it, and can promote it and push it. So it's not going to be easy. This cash will drain off. But right now, um, people are still living with excess cash that the government continues to have. And let's face it, all our cities in Ohio, even our, our state government, our state government would ha- have an 18, I think it was $18 billion deficit if it wasn't for the federal government coming in and giving them money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the city of Wadsworth, the city, all these cities... In, in the state are getting excess cash. Well, this is this is just funny money. This is money that our children and grandchildren are going to have to pay back, and it makes people all pause and sit back. We have to change the culture and get back to realizing the American dream is possible for anyone, anyone who works hard and does the right thing, well, and we've yeah, lost that attitude. Although, although with the inflation that all of that free, funny money causes that you're talking about, it's hard to put enough money away to be able to achieve the American dream. It's hard to put savings away to save up for that house, that dream house that you want, or save up for whatever it is that uh, you know that you aspire to. Everybody's going to have so much higher heating costs, higher gasoline costs, higher uh, costs at the grocery store, higher costs to build that house if you want to do so with the raw materials, and all of those things are so much more now. People are not going to have... Um, money to put into retirement, put into savings and so forth. And that's what's got to be addressed sooner rather than later. And I certainly hope uh, at the state level that it happens as soon as next year uh, with a new governor. Congressman Renacci, Governor gubernatorial candidate Renacci, I appreciate your time, sir, very much. I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bob. You have a great Thanksgiving to your listeners as well. Take Thank care. you very much. All right, 955, quick time out, right back. Okay, it's 9.58, not a ton of time here, but I do want to uh, lead into what we're going to do in the next half hour. Don't forget, uh, we're going to talk to a former acting ICE director, Tom Homan, uh, coming up at 10.35. Um, the former director and I are going to discuss the latest. The, te- the Attorney General in the state of Texas, just quick, quick teaser. 
The attorney general in the state of Texas has accused the Biden administration of creating the border crisis intentionally as the large, my, latest large migrant caravan approaches. Ken Paxton said they are inviting illegal migrants across the border by changing policies meant to discourage them from crossing the border. Uh, there's around 3,000 Haitians and Central Americans reportedly just departed Tapachula, Mexico, late last week. They're headed toward our southern border, and of course we know what's going to happen when they get here. Deja vu. The Biden, Biden administration is going to facilitate them across the border, untested and unvaccinated, by the way. Ask them why they're here. Then they're going to say probably uh, seeking asylum. Great. Uh, don't ever worry about coming back for an asylum hearing. We're going to give you a free bus or plane ride into whatever part of the country that you wish. Tom Holman is not happy about that. Neither am I. We'll talk about that at 1035. But coming up next half hour, what we're going to do is get into some depth on the Rittenhouse verdict. And not just the verdict, which, of course, is obvious. It was about as plain as, as uh, you know, as, as uh, you know, as, as can be. Um. We're going to talk about the reactions to it and what is happening across this country and who's responsible. Um, little uh, spoiler alert. It's not the prosecutor, which was completely an abomination. The prosecution in this case was political and it was an abomination. It's not the judge. It's not the jury. The reason why what is going on across this country is going on across this country is because of liberal demon rat politicians and their willing accomplices in the mainstream legacy media. They are intentionally destroying this country over a case of self-defense that could not be more clear uh, than, than than this one is. It's simply as clear as night and or as clear and as certain as night follows day. Uh, self-defense is allowed in this country, and we're going to talk about it coming up with your calls to one six nine zero one zero nine four five right after the news. It's time to- Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.